It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Scripture says, Wisdom is justified by all its children. So let's see some of the children of atheism. If you review episodes 71 and 72 of this program on implications of a universe with no God, then you will see that in a universe without God, there can be no meaning, no purpose, no basis for morality, no afterlife, no immortality of the soul. Dostoevsky said, If there is no God, and therefore no immortality of the soul, there can be no virtue, and therefore everything is permitted. This fact is confirmed by the millions of deaths caused by the regimes run by Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and Pol Pot in the 20th century. Richard Dawkins whom I call one of the high priests of the religion of atheism, wrote in his book, River Out of Eden, which confirms much of the above consequences of atheism. He said, In the universe of electrons, selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Others are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, no justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. He adds, DNA neither cares nor knows, it just is, and we dance to its music. Also, I have said that atheism ultimately leads to nihilism, the view that nothing has any value or meaning. By applying that statement to nihilism itself, then anybody can infer that nihilism has no value or meaning. Thus, it is self-defeating, and consequently, atheism is weakened and therefore doubtful. Other worldviews that tend to support atheism, like naturalism slash materialism and secularism, consequently are also doubtful. The theory of naturalism claims everything that exists is part of nature. And the only way of knowing about the universe is through science. Materialism is a restricted form of naturalism in which the only basic physical concepts of matter and motion 
or thought requisite in order to explain everything. Naturalism, the most popular form of atheism, acts as the foundation for atheism. Naturalism holds that the only things that exist are the things that are described by our best scientific theories. But here is a problem. Science is morally neutral. Thus, according to naturalism, moral values don't really exist. Objective morality is illusory. This seems paradoxical. It seems that everybody in the world has moral values. Try taking something valuable from them and you will find out that very quickly. So to me, this is a knock against naturalism and therefore against atheism. In the last episode, I referred to the Canadian philosopher Kai Nielsen, who believes we can have ethics without God. He insists that there is a certain bedrock morality. He said, God or no God, the torturing of innocence is evil. God or no God, wife-beating or child-molesting is evil. He adds, I firmly believe that this is bedrock and right, and that anyone who does not believe it cannot have probed deeply enough into the grounds of his moral beliefs. Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, is full of vehement moral judgments. Allow me to list some. Dawkins says the New Testament is lacking in family values, page 250. And the Old Testament postulates a nasty God that stalks on every page. He adds, I have described atonement, the central doctrine of Christianity, as vicious, sadomasochistic, and repellent, page 253. Teaching children to accept a divine revelation is pernicious, page 307. Teaching them to believe in hell is child abuse, page 318. On and on Dawkins goes. In his first book, Dawkins coined the phrase which became the title of that book, The Selfish Gene. In The God Delusion, he notes that this phrase has given some people the impression that altruism is impossible. Dawkins asks, Where does the Good Samaritan in us come from? Isn't goodness incompatible with the theory of the selfish gene? He answers, no. He insists that interpretation is a misunderstanding, albeit one that was, with hindsight, foreseeable. Note, Dawkins is talking about goodness. So ultimately, he is talking about morality. Here is the explanation Dawkins furnishes for his usage of the word selfish. He says, The logic of Darwinism concludes that the unit in the hierarchy of life which survives and passes through the filter of natural selection will tend to be selfish. The units that survive in the world will be the ones that succeeded 
in surviving at the expense of their rivals at their own level in the hierarchy. That precisely is what selfish means in this context. Really? I feel so enlightened by that explanation, don't you? Surely his explanation is nothing but mere tautology to say that those genes that continue to the next generation are best suited to continue to the next generation. There is no reason to apply the word selfish here. It is a truth of logic. How does what Dawkins has said explain anything? Nevertheless, in his book, The God Delusion, Dawkins goes through several pages to show that genes best suited to survive do not always influence organisms to act in a selfish way. That may be fascinating to some people, but what foundation does that lay for morality? Precisely none. The passion with which Dawkins expresses his disapprobation suggests that he considers himself to be right and the actions of which he disapproves to be wrong. Yet his account of the origins of morality does not even begin to explain what it means for something to be right rather than wrong. Dawkins tells us that during the earliest stage of human history, we lived in discrete roving bands like baboons, partially isolated from neighboring bands or villages. He says, during our prehistory, we evolved the rule of thumb, be kind to those who are around you. The genes that promoted such behavior were more successful at replicating themselves than other genes. How does he know that? He asks, could it be that our good Samaritan urges are misfirings, analogous to the misfiring of a reed warbler's parental instincts when it works itself to the bone for a young cuckoo? I am suggesting that the same is true of the urge to kindness, to altruism, to generosity, to empathy, to pity. In ancestral times, we had the opportunity to be altruistic only towards close kin and potential reciprocators. Nowadays, supposedly since most of us do not rove about like baboons, that restriction is no longer there, but the rule of the thumb persists. It remains in us as an ingrained habit, a happy relic of simpler times. That is why we have a tendency to be kind to other people. Dawkins calls these misfirings, Darwinian mistakes, blessed, precious mistakes. My question is, how does Dawkins know any of this, or is it merely a story he has concocted? He has told us his story about the origin of altruistic tendencies in human beings. 
which I'm willing to accept for the sake of argument. But he has not explained why anyone ought to follow such tendencies. After all, he also tells us that our prehistoric ancestors would have been bad to the point of xenophobia to other groups. Presumably, some of these xenophobic tendencies still remain in their present-day descendants. What reason do we have to restrain xenophobic tendencies and instead follow altruistic ones? Or is it just a matter of personal preference? Dawkins does not offer an answer to the question, why should we be good? He does not justify what Kant called the categorical imperative. He does not tell us what is the source of duty, nor the origin of this moral obligation. Where does goodness come from? That is the basic question. What makes right actions right and wrong actions wrong? That is, what is the very essence or defining characteristic of morality? If there is no God, what sort of moral principle is it to which Nielsen and Dawkins appeal to make a distinction between right and wrong? As far as I can tell, Nielsen and Dawkins make no attempt to answer that question. Do Nielsen and Dawkins think everyone has a duty to be good? Do parents have a duty to care for their children rather than sacrificing them to a god like the Canaanites did? If they think we have no duty to be good, loving, merciful, just, fair, or anything else, then they do not really believe in moral values and duties despite their moral machinations in their books. Why? Because morality is by definition something binding, an objective standard to which all of us have a responsibility to adhere. If they believe that no objective standard exists to which we have a duty to adhere, then they have no right to pass moral judgments. I would also ask Nielsen and Dawkins, do you think that your words are objectively true? Or do you just mean that you do not like these things? In other words, is their morality merely a subjective morality? If it is just a personal preference, then Nielsen and Dawkins are subjective moralists. If so, then they cannot say, this is wrong, but instead all they can say is, I do not enjoy this course of behavior, or I feel distress when I see someone act that way. What law is there that distinguishes right and wrong? Because if there is such a law, then there must be a lawgiver, and that I think can be demonstrated that a moral lawgiver would be God, the creator of heaven and earth. I will take this topic up again in the next episode. In the meantime, walk with God.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.